0: This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast.
1: I'm a horrible implementer, but I'm a great visionary. And so um, one of the strengths is like, building the team and having the people and the processes in place to do that. So we make the process really simple.
2: You're listening to the millennial millionaire through real estate podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing, or for those who want to scale their real estate business.
0: This episode is sponsored by Infinite Road Destinations, the smartest short-term rental property management group I know, and the group that manages my properties. This is a company that's very close to my heart, run by two of the smartest, most attentive people I know, Claire Rosenberg and Alex Brashears. Claire and I first met when we worked together at NetApp, where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company. And Alex is just one of the most active, genuine people I know in the real estate space. The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver a hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend Anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing welcome kit creation, listing, advertising, and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handymen, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the form, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed.
3: All right, everyone, we had an awesome guest on today, Melissa Johnson, and Melissa is just an incredible girl boss. She has flipped over a thousand houses, built the company into a seven-figure business. She started a local real estate meetup in San Antonio for women. She does coaching. She's building a course. This woman has five kids. I mean, she's just crushing it really cool episode where we kind of dive into her, um, wholesaling process. Um, some of the failures along the way, heard a really good, um, story that she went through of, um, a wholesale deal that didn't really work out, but a great learning and, um, just a, just a really cool episode. So super excited for you guys to hear it. And without any further ado, Melissa Johnson. All right, Melissa, welcome to the show. Happy Wednesday. How are you doing today? I'm doing
1: really good today. Actually feeling good. Feeling upbeat, <laughs> moving
3: around moving like around a little bit <laughs> Hands in the air here. Good, good. It's middle of the week. I'm in New York here. Um, sun's out. I haven't made it out today. I've just been going and going today, but definitely make a walk later. Uh, where are you located? Um, Melissa? I am in San Antonio, Texas,
1: and it is actually not sunny here today, and normally it is, so it's kind of meh. (laughs) You can't have it all, right? (laughs) No, but it's going to be hot later this week and sunny, so I'll take this dreary kind of cooler thing right
3: now because I know what's coming. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. Well, I want to start us off. I'd love for the audience to get a good understanding of your background, high level, how you got into real estate, um, and where you are today. So I'll kind of let you take that and then we'll unpack it throughout the interview today.
1: Okay. So uh, I have been a real estate investor in San Antonio for 18 years. Um, Started out mostly doing rehabbing, um, doing a lot of uh, creative financing deals. So we did a lot of owner financing, creating notes and selling those notes when that was really good. Um, I've always been a rehabber primarily. The last few years I have gone deeper into wholesaling. And so it's just that whole pivoting thing, like what's good to do when. And so those are the two main areas where I focus. I do have a portfolio of rentals and notes that I have held. Uh, owner finance notes that I've held
3: um let's see I have five kids uh <laughs> I'm one of five so I can definitely relate oh, what, so you- what's the age order and the um yeah how old is everyone <laughs> it's crazy
1: <laughs> there it's all over the place people are always like oh my god when I tell them but my oldest daughter is 28 um she's married graduated college so I'm very proud of her And then I've got twin girls that are 22 and they're both in college right now. Also proud of them. And then I've got my 12 year old that we talked about before the show. She's about to be 13 next month. Uh, She's at home. And then I have a son who is nine and he is just the little prince of of the house here.
3: (laughs) So they're all spread
1: out in age, but it's been, uh, I kind of like it that way. Actually, it's, it's been, it's working. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Totally. And I could definitely, it's funny. Cause I, you do not meet a lot of people who have five kids and especially being one of five. I'm at, I'm also a twin too. So, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, kind of funny, all the, like the similarities there, but yeah, it definitely, it seems like you have done a lot. And what I thought was kind of interesting is, um, you know, you talked about pivoting. So for you, when do you know when it's the right time to pivot? And what is your, and tell me more about what you're focused on now with wholesaling.
1: Yeah. So, um, the pivoting really just comes from knowing the market. So, you know, at the time when you could, and this is like the early two thousands, you know, you could create notes and you could bundle them and then sell them and have like a great return on those. So I, I think we were getting like 90 something percent, you know, on these notes, which is pretty much unheard of these days, but it was a great thing for a while. So, you know, played that out until it was done. Couldn't really do that anymore, especially after 2008. Um, But then uh, we did shift into more of just doing owner financing. And that was just only because, again, the market, it was really the only way to get rid of properties because nobody was getting bank financing. Everything was just kind of just stopped, you know. And so we, um, since we had that experience already doing notes, it was a good time to just do some of those. So that was really where I built up the portfolio quite a bit. Um, just because that was the only way we could move properties, you know, at the Mm -hmm. time. So we did that for a while till the market shifted back, then went into more rehabbing again, just strictly rehabbing, not doing any notes or anything like that. And then I guess about 2015 or so, um, it became a really great time for wholesaling. And we had done some one-off wholesaling here and there over the years and stuff, but, um, that really blew up. And so that was the time when I, I built up a team and had, you know, a lot of people. And so we were able to do more deals cause that's more, um, a lot of transactional type things. So, you know, I needed more people to be able to support that type of business because it's just, you know, you're doing more and more, and more, um, And now with the way the market is there's so it's, you know, so low inventory and and everything. And so my focus has been more on rehabbing again, because people want properties are ready to move into, you know, it's a great time for people to sell, but what happens when they sell, they need another place to go and people don't want to, you know, most people don't want to live in a fixer upper, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's been a great time for rehabbing again. Uh, so, you know, just knowing your market and knowing when to shift and having different exit strategies to implement in the times where they're appropriate has been really helpful. And I mean, we've done, I mean, I've probably done close to a thousand transactions at this point. So <laughs> I have a lot of experience doing a lot of different yeah. things and it's just kind of plugging in what works at
3: the time. Right. No, I love that. And it seems like you're really a jack of all trades. If something, if it's the right time to move, we're just going to go for it and we're just going to attack. And that's kind of what I, what I see um, or what I'm hearing. And I'm curious, you know, you, you spoke about, you know, how important it is to have a team and with wholesaling, a lot of people are working with virtual assistants in the cold calling and the, in the texting. So I love this show is really all about being super tangible and and having the listeners kind of walk away with an action plan. So I'd love to kind of learn about your process with wholesaling and, you know, you working with virtual assistants, you know, kind of start to finish of, you know, uh, getting a deal under contract and then selling it.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I should probably say that we only market to, we market direct to sellers. So I'm not buying properties off the MLS. I'm not, um, I'm not going and buying properties at auctions or anything like that. Um, we are strictly just marketing to sellers. Mm-hmm. So we're very deliberate in who we're marketing to. And then, you know, as far as the process goes, I mean, we keep one of my core values is keep it simple. So I don't like anything that's super complicated. <laughs> I And feel so, you. and I know that like, I I feel like everyone does their own thing. Like everyone has a different way of doing things that works for them. So for me, it, um, I don't like doing a lot of the stuff, honestly, (laughs) like I'm more, I like being up here and just kind of overseeing everything. Um, I'm a horrible implementer, but I'm a great visionary. And so, um, one of the strengths is like building the team and having the people in the processes in place to do that. So we make the process really simple. You know, we, we market directly to the sellers. Um, We get the property under contract. I don't double close anything. I assign all my contracts, which I know some places you can do that, some places you can't. So be aware of that. If you're thinking about assigning contracts, we're signing equitable interest in the property And then we give them a notice that that's what we're doing. And we're providing actually a copy of the original contract with a seller too. And so that's really, I mean, it's, it's not super difficult. The big thing is building your buyers list and having a network and knowing who your buyers are. So we really have spent a lot of time cultivating our buyers list. And another thing that we are very, very um, conscious of, and, and I'm kind of proud of is we we're not the wholesalers that are gonna throw a deal out there and it's just obviously not a deal. I mean, we get those emails all the time. It's like that, how are you mm-hmm. gonna make any money on this? Like it doesn't even make sure. sense. So we try to buy right and we try to put deals out there that um I call it leaving enough meat on the bone. Like leaves right. the meat on the bone for the empire. <laughs> Sometimes we may have left too much meat on the bone because there have literally been cases where we have sold a property to another wholesaler and then they turned around and sold it to somebody else again. So we all got a little piece of the, <laughs> of the pie there, um, yeah. which is probably my bad. Like I should have probably <laughs> done a little bit better. But you learn that over the years. But the the thing that I've learned though, with doing operating that way is our deals always move. So there's a lot of wholesalers out there that are putting stuff out there and aren't, aren't running the numbers correctly or, or being a little too aggressive with the pricing. And I don't want to say greedy because like, we're all in this to make money and I get that, but I am in it for the long-term. And so I take a long-term approach. So maybe I don't make as much, but everything goes, nothing sits. And we don't, I I feel like we are probably less than 1% on fallout of our wholesale deals because we do take the time to buy it right, market it right at a good price that people are going to want. So they're coming to us looking for deals now. I don't, we don't even really have to send anything out. People just contact us. They're like, do you have any deals? What do you have?
3: And that's like the best place to be. You guys are, you're in the sweet spot. And I love that you brought up that, you know, you're the visionary. Um, You don't like to implement. It's kind of funny because I think of uh, John and I, and he is definitely the visionary. I am the integrator. He's the one with the big D, uh, the big ideas and I'm the one implementing it. So it's always interesting that of like what our skill sets are and we recognize like what we are good at. And, and, you know, it's like, you don't want to do all the menial tasks. Right. Right. And um, I just thought that was so interesting, but I think what's, what you brought up is, you know, fine finding really good deals. So I'd be curious, you know, for people who are interested in wholesaling, if, if they're, they're starting out and trying to understand, well, what does a good deal look like? What should they be looking for?
1: Um, well, that's a tough one because every market's different. So I guess for I, your market. So for my market, um, it's going to sound probably crazy, but we're still trying to get stuff at 70%. <laughs> <laughs> you know, And so we don't, you know, we, we do miss out on things probably sometimes, but I am also, again, with, with being the, um, having that long-term approach to things, I don't ever want to get stuck with something. And I also don't like wasting time with stuff. If I'm going to only make two grand and it's going to cost, it's going to cost me more time and energy to do that, then I might not, I probably won't do that deal which seems a little crazy, but you have to think about what your time is worth, what you're paying your team, you know, the expenses that you have associated with that. Like you might end up not even making money for real. You know, what was your cost mm-hmm. to get that lead? You know, that could be, you know, a thousand bucks easily. And if you're only making two, it's like, well, <laughs> do I really want to take that deal on? Um, so that's kind of one of the things. But then the other thing I do is I actually have, because I've been doing this for so long, I have established criteria for what I want in a rehab and what I want in a wholesale and what I want as a rental property. And so when leads come in, we have this funnel, you know, that it goes through. So it's like, okay, here's this lead came in now. Does which criteria does it fit? Which bucket does it need to go into? And I've got very set criteria. So for, you know, for a rehab at this point, I don't want to do anything that needs foundation work. I don't want to fix up something that's in a really rough neighborhood you know especially now materials getting stolen and stuff all over the place like i don't want to mess with that so and then there's certain parts of town that i like to rehab in and i'm conscious of how many days on market you know i want to rehab in areas where i know the property is going to sell fast so you know, and there's a few other things. So whenever I look at these leads that come in and the team knows what bucket it needs to go into, and then we're making offers based on that. So we know anything else outside of those parameters is going to be a wholesale deal automatically. Mm -hmm. And so that gets put out that way. If it's something that's kind of on the line, I'll take a look at it, but I try to train them to know where it needs to go at the right time. And then what I'm looking for in a rental
3: property too, because that's a whole different set of criteria. Right. Everything. It seems like everything kind of has a process and a system. And it it seems like you've got that, like you've got that down where it's like, okay, if it follows this criteria, (laughs) it goes in this funnel. Right. So it's like, everything is so systematized and that's like what it has to be. Um, and I, we always talk about all the good things that happen. I'd, I'd love to kind of learn about, you know, a failed wholesale deal and what you learned from it or a flip or a rehab, was say, whatever. It could be wholesale flip rehab, but it would just be helpful to hear about a failure.
1: Yeah. Oh, I got one. <laughs> <It happened laughs> You're like, oh, I got yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a nightmare. Um, and it was one I probably should have wholesaled. And this was, so this is like a great example, right? Because, um, I went against all my criteria. So I made a mistake and, Even experienced investors, even though I flipped a thousand houses and been doing this for 18 years, like you still make mistakes sometimes. You know, it it just happens. And and I'm okay with that. And I just like, I screwed up. I admit it. I screwed up. I shouldn't have bought this house. So I straight from my criteria one, I bought the house off the MLS, which I never do. And then two, um, I didn't. So we have a process where we do our due diligence before we buy a house. And because we're typically buying from direct from sellers, we have a you know particular thing that we go through. Well, one of the things that we go through is checking to see if the house is in a floodplain. And that stemmed from an, a house that we had bought a few years ago and there was an issue where it wasn't disclosed and it came back and anyway, it was a mess. So I thought, okay, from now on, we're gonna check that. It's just part of our process when we're, you know, cert- when we're doing all the um, due diligence on the property. So because we bought it off the MLS, I trusted their seller's disclosure and they marked that it was not in a floodplain so I didn't check and um didn't think anything of it the house needed a foundation work uh, also against my criteria (laughs) so you may be wondering why did you buy this yeah I needed a deal like I I just I needed a deal and and it was a mistake but the numbers were good so that I should say that like I went against my criteria but the numbers made sense. And my criteria was based on just a personal preference for me. It's not that I can't do foundation houses. It's just that I've done a ton of them and I just didn't want to do anymore. But I thought, well, I need a deal. I know how to do these, like, I'll just do it. It was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. <laughs> we got the foundation crew out there. They um, pulled permits, got started on the work and everything. Well, the city came back and said, this house is in a floodplain and I was like, what? <laughs> so I went back and looked and sure enough, it was in a floodplain. So I'm like, okay, well now what? And they said, well, now uh, FEMA has to get involved. So they have to approve your stuff. And it, it became this like nightmare situation. It was just like one thing after another. They said, um, like in San Antonio and Bear County where I'm at, if you buy a house that's in a floodplain, you can only improve up, you can only spend uh, 50% of the appraised value of the home. So this home had been appraised at like 98 or something like that, which it was definitely below what it was worth. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just strictly going off of what the tax, you know, what the county says it's appraised at. Well, then I'm like, well, I can't spend more than like 40 something thousand on this house and it needs a lot. Like I'm gonna be cutting it close here. And so that was a thing. And then because all this stuff was happening in the background, I figured, well, I'll just send my guy over to do the demo. He could at least get the demo done while they're finishing up the foundation. That way, like when foundations approved and everything's done, like we're ready to roll. So, and I've never had a problem with this before, but because the city was now aware of what I was doing at the house from pulling the permits on the foundation and the FEMA and all this other stuff, They came over to look at the property, looked in the windows, noticed the demo had been done and then slapped a stop work order on the house because they said, well, you didn't pull a permit to do demo. I was like, when did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Because it had been a hot minute since I had rehabbed a house. I had just been wholesaling. So I'm like, what the, like, what changed? You know, (laughs) you didn't pull a permit for demo? What? Um, So they put the stop work order. And so we had to stop everything. And then just all these horrible things happened after that. I won't go into any more detail because it's just going to frustrate me. (laughs) But it was just one thing after another after another. So, you know, I was like, okay, what do I do with this house? Because it sat forever. And then the other problem was my contractor that did the demo wasn't licensed because he was just doing demo. And so then they were on me for that. And I'm just like, oh my God, like they are just all over me for this thing. So I'm just done with like, So I went back since I bought off the MLS and I tried to get the, um, try to talk to the seller of the house, because the other thing, the guy I had bought the house from was actually a realtor and an investor. And he lied all over that seller's disclosure. He lied about so many things that I didn't find out till later, even lying about the, um, the floodplain thing. So when I went back to him and I was like, do you, can you buy this house back from me? you know, because you lied, like this is not, this is, you've totally misrepresented this property and you're an agent, you're supposed to be held to this different standard. And I just wanted to have a conversation about it. Well, he lawyered up on me without even talking to me first, you know, and said, well, it was on the survey. And I was like, the survey, (laughs) I didn't even, it was in this teeny weeny little print. So then I was like, okay, but yeah, it's on the survey, and you had the survey, so you knew it was in a floodplain, and you still lied anyway. <laughs> you know, so it was this whole like mess. So anyway, long, very long story short, I ended up keeping the house because I was just like, I'm not going to fight you on this. I was just trying to have a conversation because I've had to buy mm-hmm. a property back for that same reason before, and that's why I checked that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I I should have checked, and I didn't, and I just trusted that that person was saying what was true and they didn't want to buy the house back. So I kept it and tried to wholesale it. Nobody wanted it. You know, they wanted it for like less than what I had paid for it at that point. Cause we were in the right. middle of COVID and everything. And so I ended up having to dump the house for less than what I paid for it. And I had to come out of my pocket with like 42 grand to get rid of that house. Wow. And it is by far the biggest and most Humiliating loss that I've ever had. I think I was so just like, what in the world? Like, what went wrong? Everything looked like it was going to be okay, and then it wasn't. Wow. So yeah, it was a
3: mess, big mess. What a story! I, that's it's a it's a lot. It's, it a, is, lot of like, it's a lot to process. I'm like a lot to speechless. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to. We had to relive that story. I mean, it, it just. But I, I guess fr- so that
1: people know, yeah. like, no matter how long you've been doing this, like these things just happen sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really boils down to like, what did I learn from this scenario? Right. Well, I'm not straying from my criteria again. I can tell you that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, from, from that, have you been like laser focused on your criteria and not letting anything slip through? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm like, no. Nope. And there's stuff. It's like, oh, that could be a deal. Mm, that foundation, mm. though. I don't know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but it, it just ended, up, yeah.
1: it no, ended up being okay. It was fine. I ended up getting another house that didn't need foundation work and it was an easy rehab. So I felt vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> so you made up
3: for it, right? I did. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But that's a big one.
1: That hurt.
3: <laughs> it It did hurt, but we keep moving we learn from it and we keep grooving. So we got the next deal, right? We just keep moving forward. We keep looking ahead. Um, and, and speaking, it seems like you were doing so much and you have five kids and I know everyone's kind of, at, um, you know, somewhere are out of the house, but how do you, how do you balance it all? How do you have that perfect work-life balance?
1: Um, I don't, <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't. And I don't, um, that's something I talk about quite a bit, you know, balance, because I think that, you know, I, I, I think it was in like, was it the one thing maybe, um, where, you know, he talks about anything you put your attention towards is taking attention away from something else. But I think the important thing to remember is what season are you in? Like, where are you at in your life right now? Is this a time where I need to be focused more on my business? or can I spend more time focused on my family? Like Family to me is always first priority. It just, that's me. And it'll always be that way. So I'm always willing to put my business aside for my family. And that's, that's just how, that's just me. That's how I am. That's how I choose to be. Um, but there are times where I do have to focus more on the business, but I try to do that at times where it makes sense for me, you know, like when they're at school, or maybe I have to get up earlier in the morning, or maybe I have to work a little bit after they go to bed to get a couple of things done. But I really try to um, I know what my priorities are and my priority is my kids and my family. And so everything else, I built the whole business around that so that I Mm -hmm. can really have that lifestyle business. And, and I think too, like having help, you know, hiring help and delegating has been a really big thing too. I think that's how, you know, people ask me all the time, like how do you manage it with five kids? Well, Mm I, I, I have help. I hire people, you know, I, I don't clean my house. I don't clean the pool. I don't mow my yard. I, I had a nanny for my kids, you know, before they went to school and the, those were all done, not because I'm rich or anything. I'm not, but I almost can't afford not to because Mm -hmm. that time is better spent working on my business and doing more, you know, growing that and making the money that way that pays for me to be able to you know, hand those things off, things that I don't like to do or don't have time to do. That way I can really spend my time focused on what I want to, which is the business and my family.
3: 100%. And that's what I fully, I completely agree. Family always comes first. And I think a lot of times people are really scared to delegate, Uh, work with a lot of people who are like, I I can't trust a virtual assistant or Mm -hmm. just in, in general, handing off things to your team. But, you know, you said it best. It's focusing on, you know, what I enjoy and it's sacrificing time for my family or the business. If I am focusing on those tasks, you know, so it's like, you really understand that. And I think a lot of people kind of, they really struggle with that. Me, I'm, I really like to, um, I'm, I like to be in control. So some things, you know, I've definitely gotten better at handing things off to, to virtual assistants, but it's definitely a big trusting thing I would say, but it's, it's very much worth it. Um, sure. And don't get me wrong. It wasn't
1: always like that. I mean, because I am a control freak too. And I know that about myself, like <laughs> letting go of cer- certain things. I was like, Oh, take it. Yeah. But there were other <laughs> things that I knew I needed to let go. And I'm like, Ooh, like the books, like I'm real funny about my money. I want to know where every penny is at all times. <laughs> I'm always like very conscious of that. And so letting go of my books and hiring somebody to do that was like, Oh, can I do that? Like it's really, <laughs> really scary. And the first few months I was checking everything all the time. And now like the thought of having to do my books again, just, ugh. you know, because I w- I did it myself because I could, and I was good at it. That's actually, I have a background in bookkeeping. So mm-hmm. that was something that I always wanted to have control over and it was really hard to let go. But once I did, I'm like, oh God, why didn't I do this sooner?
3: hundred percent. Definitely. It's like, we could have been saving so much time before and here we are now. (laughs) Uh, Well, I love to get to like the rapid fire. We have about 10 minutes left here. Just going to ask you like some quick questions here. Um, First thing is how do you, what's your, do you have a morning routine? It's the first question. Ooh. <laughs>
1: I it's okay if you do or don't. I'm like, well, I did, but it kind of, <laughs> kind of went by the wayside during COVID. I feel like I still haven't come back from that. Um, but there are certain things that I do every day. So um, I shower. That's important. <laughs> and that sounds crazy, but I'm a water person, and there's something about. Um, I feel like it kind of starts my day. Like I always have a lot of good ideas when I'm in the shower. I don't know. It's like your mind is just kind of clear. And so I kind of enjoy that time just as a thinking time actually. And so that's always part of my morning. Um, should you get a shower pad,
3: I know. And write your ideas. I've seen those. I've gotten it for people.
1: I've literally jumped out of the shower a couple of times and like trying to find a piece of paper or my phone or something like make a note, like, Oh, that's a great idea. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, I take my kids to school every morning Um, That's something that I've always done that I love doing. That's part of my morning routine. Um, I meditate. I haven't been as consistent with that lately. So, but that is something that I do like to do in the mornings. I feel like it just sets my day up, kind of gets my mind right. Um, And then exercising. So going to yoga or going to boot camp, things like that, depending on what day of the week it is. I do like that. The only part I struggle with, with all of this morning routine stuff is that the fact that it's in the morning. (laughs) because I am not a morning person and COVID really like opened my eyes to, to my natural body rhythms, I guess, like being able to wake up at whenever I felt like it. And I felt like I was just, I felt more free during that time. Oddly enough, I don't, I don't like being in a box and forced to do things at certain times. I, I hate time blocking, all that kind of stuff. So I think the morning routine isn't as much so important that it's in the morning. It's just having something that you do, the things that you do each day, no matter
3: what time of the day it is. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cause I think, you know, there's some people I'm the 4.00 AM 5.00 AM, you know, Ooh. I have to do this, this, <laughs> and this, I am definitely, I love to sleep in. I'm, I'm a night owl. So I'll like stay up late, um, and sleep in. Um, but no, I think I, I love that you said it doesn't really matter when you do it, as long as you get it done you know, it's what works yeah. for you. You don't have to do and, everything yeah. in the morning.
1: Yeah. And I feel like so many people put so much on that. Like you got to get up at five o'clock in the morning. And that, I think that works for some people. I, but I think for other people, you like, there's this whole, um, not shaming thing, but like all the successful people do this, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I feel like I'm pretty successful, but I freaking hate getting up that early. Not that I sleep late. I don't, I mean, like sleeping in for me is like seven 30 or something like that. It's okay. That's still late. early. Yeah.
3: I'll get up at like 10. Yeah. But we'll see, but I get up
1: at seven 30, but I probably don't really start my day till about 10 because I'm getting up and I'm right. taking the kids to school and then I come home and I'm eating breakfast and I am doing my workout and meditation, you know, if I'm doing it that day or, you know, whatever. So a lot of times I don't really start my day till like nine thirty or so. But then I'll go later, and and I'm okay with that because I know when my energy times are. Like I know that I'm I can be really focused around eleven o'clock, and then again like around three or four I get another kind of surge of energy mm-hmm. and, and I can keep going. You get that boost, yeah. <laughs> but I'm a night owl too, so I get it. That's my fun time though. I I like I try not to work late at night. I tried. That's yeah, why I yeah. do like art or you know whatever. What kind of
3: what kind of art do you do?
1: I'm actually a a mixed media artist too. So and that's just something I don't I've been published in a lot of magazines and books and stuff like that, but I don't um I don't sell anything. I do it just for me. I just enjoy it. It's it's creative outlet for me.
3: I love that. And I love and it's like you don't have to you can just do it for you. You know, there doesn't have to be anything beyond that. So that's that's super cool. Um, and then what about, um, people that you follow or books that you like to read? Oh, I love books.
1: I'm like the biggest book nerd ever. And I'm talking about real books, not eBooks. I can't, I don't like eBooks oh, yeah. and I don't like audiobooks. I can't, I have ADHD. So I swear it's like in one ear and out the other. Like, I don't know what I just heard. <laughs> but I, I like a regular book, book too. Yeah. Cause I like to mark in it and stuff. And so I, I mean, I I should turn my computer. I mean, I have tons of books everywhere. And I'm the person that has like the stack of books next to my bed that I haven't read yet. That's probably going to fall over and kill me at some point. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want that to happen. (laughs) No, but I just, I love to read. I love, you know, I I really enjoy reading about things like personal development, um, business books. I used to read so much nonfiction or so much fiction Mm -hmm. and then you know you I don't know maybe it's like an age thing as you get older or something but I kind of shifted into more of like a non-fiction so I've been trying to read more fiction books but I try to read something that I'm going to learn something from that's you know I guess I'm reading more for um for like personal fulfillment like development and education purposes
3: rather than pleasure these days Mm -hmm. no that makes that makes sense and we don't hopefully the books don't fall over there, (laughs) but no, you're on it. You, a lot of, you know, you want to continue to grow and you want to continue to learn and, and improve. And, you know, you're taking that upon yourself and you have a passion for it. You know, are there any specific books that, you know, our listeners could take from your book list? Ooh. I love um
1: everything is figure outable. I tell oh, I have bought I that book for so many people. Marie
3: Florio. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. She's like my spirit animal. I love her. I love her. <laughs> <We're both laughs> love like, I love to meet her And I'm her. like yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> yes. love the um Oprah um episode that she has. Yes. The podcast she's- episode. She's so
1: I don't know. I just feel like I really relate to her. I love her. I love Mel Robbins. I love her five second thing. I just finished that book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that. I forgot what it's called somewhere. I think it's in my room.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, but it's like a five second countdown thing to where like when you need to do something that you don't want to do instead of counting forward, like one, two, three, four, because that's infinite right? But if you count backwards, like I'm going to do this in five, Four, three, two, one, and do it. And I'm just like, wow, that's. I mean, it it just it does something with your mind when you think about that. So that's a really great book. Her stuff is really good. Um, I also like um, Patrick Lencioni. I just love all of his books and the way he presents stuff in a story, the parables and um, things like that. I've learned a ton from his books, and I choose to lead the way he does. I learned a lot about leadership from him.
3: All right. Well, I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I'd love for our um, audience members to learn how they can connect with you and um, reach out. So what, what's the best way for our listeners to find you?
1: Sure. So um, I have a website. It's MelissaJohnson.com. And on there is, um, I'm offering, I do one-on-one coaching for people. Now that's something I just started doing last year and I love it. Like that's, that has been so much fun. I love all my clients. You know, we just, you get to really know them when you're doing one-on-one like that and really digging into their business and bridging that gap between education and implementation is really where I like to be focused with them. So that's on there information about that. Um, I'm also working on a course right now, kind of a start to finish um, um, residential real estate and all the links to all my socials are on there too at the bottom of the first page. So the LinkedIn, YouTube, I have a ton of free content that I share with people. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's there. Um, Just all the little pieces of how to run your business, how to flip houses, how to wholesale, how to build your team, everything related to that's there
3: perfect. Well, we will link everything in the show notes. So everyone can take a look at all of your goodies um, and, and reach out to you. The coaching is super, super cool. And it seems like a very meaningful thing to do. So um, it is very happy for you. you. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time um, for joining me for women Wednesdays. Um, Any closing thoughts for the audience?
1: Um, I just say, you know, if you're on the fence about anything, get yourself educated and take some action.
3: All right. Be an we action. Love taking taker. action. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love taking action. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining today and hope you have a wonderful Wednesday. Thank you.
2: Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at Outlook.com.